You're listening to Crunch Time, the hottest young pod in the world of sports. All right, welcome back to episode 39 of Crunch Time Podcast. I'm Mikey. I'm joined by Sam. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Please welcome former Buffalo Sabres player Rob Ray. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. How are you doing? Very good, gentlemen. How are you guys? Pretty good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, We're excited to talk to you about your career and everything. So one of the first questions we have for you is, you know, obviously you grew up in Sterling, Ontario. If you don't mind just walking us through what it was like growing up about two hours from Toronto, just tell us a little bit about your childhood. Well, small town, guys, uh, population of about 1,200 people, Uh, small farm community. You know, everybody knows everybody. Uh, you have one gas station in town. There wasn't even a stoplight till you know after I left. One little convenience store, grocery store, rink, and that's about it. There's not a lot there. It's a farming community, and you know a very tight knit place. And uh, you know the, the thing was, you you got plenty of opportunity to play, not because you had the rink, but a lot of outdoor opportunities there. So you played hockey all the time, and softball in the summer, hockey in the winter, and you know, fortunately enough. Uh, to get plenty of opportunity to move on. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, not many people know this, but you played for the Trenton Bobcats and the Cornwall Royals before finally making it onto an NHL roster. How would you describe your time in the minor leagues? Well, it was because I came from a small town, nobody that I knew had ever experienced anything like that before. And, and you know, you didn't have anybody to turn to for your advice. So, after my second year of Bantam, I went to play Junior B in Trenton for the Bobcats. And, you know, it was, a, it was in a couple towns over from mine. So it was a lot of traveling back and forth. But you, you're, a, you know, a 15-year-old kid playing with men. Uh, you know, these guys were, you know, 20, 21. There was, it was a tough rumble league back then. And, and you really got your eyes open up really quick about what hockey was all about moving forward. And you know, I had a good year there, moved on to the Whippy Lum in the next year, which is a, a one-year Tier 2 team that we I played on. Uh, actually, three guys off that team actually moved to the NHL, Yanni with the Jersey Devils and Teppel Newman and myself. So it was a team that we only won like uh, nine or ten games all season long. We were horrible. But, uh, you know, three of us ended up making it to the NHL, so it was cool. But when I left there and got drafted to Cornwall, it was a pretty special time, three years down in the – in Cornwall with the Royals and you know it was a great town it's a hard-working blue-collar town that people you know really appreciate the game understand the game and had a good opportunity to live with some really good people down there as billets and you know it's uh it, it was it was something that if it hadn't been over then my career then you know it was fulfilled because you know I I, I enjoyed it so much and you know fortunately I was able to move on from there yeah no that's awesome I just have a quick question so you said you're like a a teenager playing with grown men and adults. I, like, was there any uh, ever a moment where like it kind of really hit you, and something happened where you realized that you weren't like a kid playing hockey and like this is serious and uh, they're grown men like out to get you every game you play. Yeah, yeah. During training camp when I went to Trenton when I was 15 years old, uh, you know, we're it was training camp. They were playing a sh- uh, we were playing uh, scrimmage, and this guy. I hit him and he drops his gloves and, you know, not a big guy. I wasn't big at the time either, but this guy, I still know him from back home. And I look at him like, how the hell did I let you do to me what you did to me? Because, you know, now I'd scrunch him like a little bug. And 
you know, there it was. It was a fight. He literally, I had no idea what I was doing or how to do it. And, you know, I go to the ground and he picked me up by the back of the shirt and the back of the pants and threw me headfirst into the boards. And I'm like, what is this all about? Like, this is not the way I played the game. And that was kind of my uh, introduction to moving on into hockey and the way it possibly could be. And, and you know, those guys were playing for jobs. They were playing uh, for pride. So, you know, I got my eyes opened up at a young age how guys, you know, they play as long as they can. And when you play junior, you can only play till you're 20 or, you know, over age 21. And, and uh, it's those guys just love the game. So they did whatever they could do to make a team. Right. That, that sounds great. You were lucky enough to face off against stars like Wayne Gretzky throughout your career. Just explain what it was like ta- uh, taking the ice with debatably the best hockey player ever. Well, I can remember the first time that I ever played against him. It was in Edmonton and, you know, sitting on the bench and, you know, you caught yourself all the time just watching him. And it was, it was totally amazing. And I can remember sitting on the bench and I kind of turned to Mike Ramsey at one point and I go, this guy's unbelievable. And, you know, Rammer had been around for quite a while and he looked at me and he goes, it's the only guy in the league that can control a game the way he wants to play it. If he wants to play a fast game, it's going to be fast. If he wants a slow game, it's going to be slow. And it just seems like everybody around him just kind of fell into that trap of what he wanted to play. And he had that uncanny ability of just to be able to control everything while he was on the ice. And I, th- I found myself just in awe, just sitting there watching. Uh, you know, I was able to get on the ice with him a bit. And, and you know, that was kind of a, a dream right there. And that was coming out of the game. I didn't really care about winning or losing or what happened. But I was like, I was on the ice with Wayne Gretzky. And you know, that's that's a pretty cool feeling. You know, I get to know him afterwards and, you know, play against him a number of times throughout the years. But that first time was, was pretty special because, you know, you're sitting there going, I'm on the same ice as the greatest player in the world and possibly the greatest player that has ever played the game. And that was a time also when you're like, wow, this is this is this is big boy stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. I find it remarkable about Wayne Gretzky is he was never the fastest skater. He was never the most, like, naturally athletic, but I think he always controlled the pace, which is kind of remarkable. Um, I know you played on a lot of really special teams throughout your career. Do you have, like, a favorite team you played on throughout your long and successful career? I think 99 here with the Sabres when we went to the Stanley Cup final. You know, we had a, we had a nice group of guys. We had guys that uh, were really tight. We were good friends. You knew everything about each other. We 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 went to battle for each other. We respected each other. But when when we had a lot of fun, and I think that was something too. We were all young guys, but when the time come to work, it was like we knew that it was time to work. And I and I just think that that season was really special because so many different guys stood up and stepped up in situations to carry this team and make a difference. And yeah, we had Dom Hashik in that. And, and that didn't hurt, but we had no other stars on our team. The next biggest star would have been Michael Pekka. And, uh, you know, Pex was more of a defensive player. And, and so a lot of guys chipped in and a lot of guys made big contributions that year. And, you know, a lot of people look back at that team and they go, oh, yeah, you had Dominette. But you know what? There was nights we were only giving up 15, 20 shots because that's how strong we played defensively. And I don't think I've ever been on a team that made such a commitment to their own zone defensively uh, as that team did. And, and it showed to, to pay off. 
Right. Um, what about the Buffalo Sabres made you stay for so long throughout your career? Was it the culture, the fans, the location in Buffalo? Just tell us why you just had such a great career there. And why well, for me, there. it was two and a half hours away from home. Three and a half. Three and a half hours. So my friends and family could be a part of it. And they were here a lot. And, you know, that was the greatest part. You know, there's one thing playing in the NHL. But if you're experiencing it all by yourself, it's a little different. Uh, for me, it was it was three and a half hour drive where somebody seemed to be in all the time. And, and it was great. I, I never had to not see friends for long periods of time because they would come down every opportunity they could and family. And this town is a hardworking blue collar town. And they love sports and they respect the heck out of guys that play hard. I was accepted here extremely early in my career, felt very comfortable. And it just became home for me. Uh, you know, I left home and, as I said, at 15 years old. And, you know, I've been here, I'm 52. So, you know, I've been here pretty much the, the rest of my life. And it's it's a type of person that, you know, you're not going to tell them something and, and lie to them because they're educated on, you know, the sport and, and whether it's football or hockey. And so you can just be yourself and truthful. And here it's not hey, how big a house you have, what kind of car you drive, how you dress. Everybody's so equal. And, you know, I think that's that's the greatest part about being here. And you can walk around the street and know people and they recognize you. It's not like being in a major city where you're just, uh, you're kind of lost in the crowd. Here you can make an impact and here you can make a difference. And, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, being recognized like that too, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, no, for sure. That definitely sounds great uh have meant something to such an important city. Uh, I just have a quick question about, obviously you're one of the greatest enforcers to ever step foot on the ice and the NHL implemented a rule after you called the Rob Ray rule. What was your like initial reaction after uh, the NHL made that rule named after you? I was kind of pissed actually, because, you know, it, it took you so long to kind of figure out what worked and to be <laughs> successful. And, you know, because I wasn't, myself I was I was only barely six foot and I put you about 210 pounds and I was small for the guys that were you know kind of playing that role out there so I always looked for any advantage I could get when I found it and you know it was it worked for a long time and then all of a sudden it was taken away from me and it's like what the heck um but <laughs> but by the time it happened to a point in my career where I was very comfortable doing it and it really didn't make that much of a difference. I went from not having any tie downs on, uh, you know, nothing hooked on, just everything loose, to having a tie down in the front and a tie down in the back and having smaller sleeves. And, you know, it was just kind of the re exact reversal of, you know, what I was doing before. So, but I think, like I said, I was comfortable doing it at that time. So it wasn't something that all of a sudden was just, uh, you know, out of the blue and I had to experiment and find something different. It, you know, took a, you know, a couple of times just messing around in the dress room with the guys to see what would work and, you know, kind of went with it. And from that point in my career on, it, it was fine. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. I think it, it kind of brought something to the game. People liked it, you know, they kind of either loved it or hated it. And, you know, it was your way and that kind of thing happened. The Jersey come off and you hear all the people booing and yelling and but it just, it was, it was fun. And it, you know, wasn't for any harm. It was just a lot of fun. And, you know, I know people here, they knew when you went on, there was a chance it was going to happen. And, you know, that was kind of how they determined the outcome of the fight, whether the jersey came off or not. Right. That's, 
Um, describe, can you just describe the Buffalo sports fans? Obviously, the Sabres fans are extremely passionate, as well as the Bills fans for the NFL. Yeah. What can you say about Buffalo fans in, in general? When you say passionate, that's a perfect word. Because, like I said, it's a blue-collar, hard-working town. And these people here put an awful lot of what they make back into sports in this town. And, you know, the thing is here, you, you've got the Bills, which has a fantastic following, and it's amazing every Sunday, you know, the number of people that, you know, they, they live and die by that. You know, the Sabres, the same thing. You've got people in this town that this is, that's their life. They're, that's that's religion for them. And, you know, the good thing is, too, you got a lacrosse team here. The Bandits, that they pack the arena when the Bandits play here. So across the board, it's a very well-educated fan that understands the game and it's not always the winning and losing it's going out and giving that effort and if they can walk away and say hey we gave everything we had tonight just wasn't our day then you know it's it they're fine with that you know you want to see you win but in in the most part they're very good judges of what your effort is and if they don't like it then they're going to let you know it but if if they like it uh you know there's no better place uh, to be around when, when you're successful and, and having a good team because they are so intuitive. The greatest thing I ever saw for hockey was when we were playing the Leafs in 99 and you'd go downtown for a game and you'd get to the rink by 3 o'clock and the parking lots and everything were so full of people tailgating, coming to our games and all that, and they were literally camping out there waiting for the next game to happen that they couldn't get enough of it. And it was totally, totally amazing to see. Yeah, no, that that's unbelievable. And uh, on the ice, you're definitely a tough player, willing to make those big hits. But off the ice, everyone knows you're a great guy. So what was that feeling like when you were awarded the King Clancy Memorial Trophy by the NHL in 1999 for leadership and humanitarianism? Well, I just missed out on the MVP that year. So, I, you know, this was the next bet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> for for a guy like myself, you you weren't you're not in a situation that you're going to be eligible or you know in running for anything else. So okay, but I'll tell you what, you know at the time I never really thought much of it, but I, I've had plenty of people since and and guys that have played the game and that how they look at it and respect it because that trophy is for you know leadership and and representing the game on and off the ice and and it's not just one thing and 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 so many people have said you know if that's a trophy that, you know, a lot of guys down deep would, would love, but they'll never do it because they're not committed to, you know, the game itself and, and maybe what you feel that you need to do for people off the ice. And, and I, you know, I thought it was great. Uh, it was fantastic. It was a great year that, you know, we went to the finals that year. It was great, you know, and I won the King Clancy. And I look back now and, you know, the only way I was really ever going to get into the Hall of Fame is maybe your name on a trophy. And now I can take my kid. He's, you know, hockey fanatic. We go to Toronto, go to the Hall of Fame, and you can take him over and to the King Clancy and show where your name's on it. And it, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's a pretty cool feeling. But I, you know, I was accepted here by the fans, as I said, very early. I love giving back. I was single till the second last year I played. I had plenty of time and I had plenty of energy to go out and, and help everybody. And I just, I just love doing it. I just love, love doing it. And to this day, I still run our alumni. Um, so we're very, very, very active in town. I'm still doing programs that I started when I played now. And, you know, we do a Christmas program where we give toys and clothes and food to, to 50 families downtown Buffalo. 
with with the Buffalo Police. And the guys that I used to play with are still coming to help out on that day. And they've brought their kids over the years. Now they're bringing their grandkids. And it's just great to have tradition and, and something, you know, stuff like that survive over the years to be able to do. And hey, it's proud. There's a lot of things that you're proud of the difference in the, you've made in a lot of people's lives. And uh, I think it's it's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, this is just like a fun fact. Um, what is it like knowing that you scored your first shot in your first shift in the NH- in, in the NHL, and also on your last shot in your last shift? What is that? It's just a sign. I, I look at that and I don't know how many guys could actually say it. It, it is a fun fact. Yeah, very if, unique. You know, stat. to go and say that that happened. Um, you know, I there's a lot of guys I know that scored in their first game, and it's a great thing. It's anytime you score that first NHL goal, it's a, it's a totally amazing feeling, but to do it first and last and you know it's kind of an introduction to the nhl in an unbelievable way and then knowing that you score and then you never get another shift and it's like what could be better i you know i did it my last shift too and you know i'm done and i'm moving on for the rest of my life doing something different and you know you can sit back and kind of you know have that uh little feather in your cap but uh, you know my friends really don't care when i start bragging about it or talking about it they just you know, tell me I'm full of crap and move on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, now, after your career, you were lucky enough to begin working for the Sabres as a color commentator. Yeah. Like, your favorite thing about doing that? Because I think if you're playing for a team for so many years, I think that's many people's dream jobs. Well, guys, I get to be between the bench. And, you know, you're right down on the ice. You know, you're right there with everything happening. You're listening to everything that's going on. And... You know, with the exception of having equipment on, it's like being in the game. And it's the most incredible place you could sit and do a game from. Uh, you know, to to be on the road still, still be a part of the team, you know, kind of still have that emotional feeling, roller coaster, win, lose, and all that kind of thing. Uh, being able to still travel. And, you know, I always thought at the end of my career, you know, what am I going to do? And But my biggest fear when it was over was like, when I go back to the rink, are people going to look at you and go like, what the heck are you doing here? You know, you're done. Get out of here. You know, it's over with. But, you know, this this gives you a purpose to be there. And it's that's another thing that there's a lot of guys that sometimes don't like to come back and be a part because they don't feel that, you know, they are going to be accepted. And that, you know, people look at them, you know, in the same way I thought is, why are you here? What are you doing? For me, I'm very lucky that, you know, I get to work with Rick Jenneret, one of the best that's ever done the games. we got a very good crew, you know, Marty Braun now. We've had Brad May over the years. So it keeps you in the game. It keeps you alive. It keeps you, you know, relevant, uh, you know, within the organization. And and what else do I got to do? I got nothing else to do. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> that fun, too. And it doesn't hurt once in a while just getting away from home and being on the road and by yourself. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, another thing, you know, after your career was over is you uh, wrote a book, Razor's Edge, in 2007. Yeah. What was the inspiration behind that? Because that's really cool. Uh, a guy named Bud Bailey that used to be uh, like the PR guy here, uh, you know, years ago. He was the one that, that approached me about it. And, you know, he was the writer side of it. And him and I would sit and and kind of he would go through all the you know, newspaper notes and all that kind of thing of what was going on. We'd sit and talk about it. You know, it's kind of hard to remember everything that went on. You kind of sit, talk about it. He'd pick stuff out, put it down on paper. 
and and it was cool. It was fun to do. It took a while, but it was fun to do. And you know, at the time, you don't really think about it, but now I have kids. My son, as I said, is eleven. My daughter's sixteen, and neither one of them have read the book. But at some point here in their lives, they'll be able to open it up and read. You know, kind of what you went through from day one, working your way up to the end, and you know, maybe get a better understanding of it. You, know, you got to understand. You know, yeah, I was fortunate enough to play in the NHL. A lot of people looked at you like, "Oh, you're so." But my kid, your kids look at you like your dad. Okay, your dad. And it doesn't matter what you do, what you've done, that means not a lot to them at some point. It does a little more for my son because, you know, he's playing hockey now and he sees how people are. But, uh, you know, so someday they'll be able to look back and, and, and know that I wasn't BSing them all along the way of things I went through and what things I had to do. They'll be able to see it and read it in that book. So that's cool that way. Yeah, no, for sure. That's definitely like an experience that not many people can say they had. And then what was your experience now, like co-hosting the weekly television show, The Enforcers, with former Buffalo Bills star Ruben Brown? Uh, Ruben and I did that show for a number of years. And, you know, him and I, I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, you know, at the time, it was, the show was called The Enforcers. And, you know, we did it. And, and then Andrew Peters joined us, Matthew Barnaby. So we had a good variety of guys on it. It was a lot of fun because he covered the Bills sides. I do the Sabres. I have a lot of interaction back and forth. And then, you know, it's branched off now to the instigators that Andrew Peters and Craig Rave do, along with Marty Braun. And, you know, I do it one day a week with them as well. So, you know, it's great. It's like I say, this town is, is sports, sports, sports. And to sit there and listen to guys that actually play the game and whether it was the Bills or, or the Sabres and, and tell stories and, talk about things and get their opinion. It's, it's awesome. It's a great opportunity. And it's, and I know the people love it too. It's, uh, you know, it's something that it's, it's very highly rated stuff and people can't get enough of it. So, and on the other turn too, right now, it, it gives you an opportunity to stay somewhat busy when the games aren't on. No, definitely. Um, the last question we have for you today is how do you see the future looking for the Buffalo Sabres after a below average year in 2020? I think it's bright guys. See, they've made moves. Kevin Adams has done an excellent job. And, you know, just bringing Stahl in was a big thing. You know, you bring Stahl in, and here's a very well-respected guy, accomplished guy in the game. Uh, you know, he's been around. Guys are going to look at him and listen to him. And, you know, he's going to be able to teach them an awful lot. And and Jack is just getting better and better every year. He's maturing. He's, he's His game is maturing as well. And But he needed a little help. And I think this is a great opportunity here for Stahl coming in. You know, you sit here and you just hope Skinner can get back on track. You got Darlene that's maturing in front of your eyes. And you just hope they're, you know, the sky's the limit for this kid coming in. Uh, you bring Taylor Hall in, you know, one of the most feared guys on the ice uh, due to his speed and his ability. You know, playing Jack and, and Taylor Hall together could be, you know, pretty darn exciting. You know, I wouldn't want to be a D on the opposition, you know, having these two guys come down on me because it's, the speed they're going to have and, and maybe the magic, hopefully, that they can create between the two of them. But I think they've done a really good job of just kind of uh, adding a little grit to our team. Cody Eakin coming in, you know, he's not a guy that's going to fight, but he's a guy that, you know, causes a lot of havoc. And he and he works extremely hard, and hopefully that's contagious to the lineup. And you got Yoki Haru and some of these young kids on the back end that are maturing. They're getting better. Uh, Victor Olson, you know, he had a, had a fantastic gear, so – you know, you're, you're kind of looking that now you've got something to put together. And I think 
you know, the past few years, you know, you had your stars, you know, two or three, and then everything else was either young or getting a little old. And now you got a much better core of guys that, uh, you know, if they can pull it together and if it's going to be a shortened season, it's going to be tough. But uh, I just think they've, they've went over the top to give themselves an opportunity to be way more competitive this year. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for joining us in the podcast today. This really means a lot to us. Um, Sam, any last words? I don't know. Yeah. No, thank you so much. Uh, I hope your family is doing, staying safe and healthy during these crazy times. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's actually been great. You know, uh, it's a tough time, but it, it's been a really good opportunity to sit back and spend a lot of time with the kids. And, you know, it, it's amazing the things you miss out on when you're on the road. And, you know, it's it's now that it's been so fantastic. You know, I met every one of your kids' games and my daughter at dance and, you know, watching her grow up in front of your eyes. And it, it's giving you a chance to kind of sit back, kind of put everything in perspective and and have a chance to kind of slow the pace down a little bit and, and realize that life's, life's short. So you better friggin' mm-hmm. uh, take advantage of it and, and don't let it pass you by. So. I think it, it in a in a positive way, it might have been good for a lot of people just kind of open their eyes up and, and maybe change their approach to day-to-day things. Thanks for listening to this episode of Crunchime. We'll be back with new episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Follow our Instagram at Pod. We're available on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, and many other streaming platforms. And we have a TikTok, so please go check that out. And we will see you next time.